0: was in was the Ohio Theater, and it was sold out, completely out, like there was not a seat open, and I was one of the finalists, right? And there was something, you know, when you have a full theater, it's a little bit nerve-wracking, you know, there's a lot of people, and it, it could cause a little bit of nerves. But what I was more nervous about was the fact that my grade school vocal mentor was one of the judges that year, okay? And so, like, with this whole theater filled to the brim, I was more nervous that that one person who meant so much to me and so much uh, to the craft that I was delivering that night not to, like, disappoint that woman. So I was really focused on my diction and opening my mouth and making sure that everything was done just right, not to please the crowd, but to please that one person, right? I have the same kind of feeling right now. Because this is the first time I have ever actually been up here to speak on the Bible in front of a spiritual mentor of mine from about 12 or 13 years ago, right? This is the first time ever, and I'm going to do the most I can not to stare at that guy in the back because I know that if I, if I look at him and he's going... All right. Well, that's uh, like <laughs> I—I may not be back. <laughs> yeah, so we're i am gonna try to do the best I can. Uh, I'm not really that nervous. I'm just giving you a hard time. <laughs> it does. It makes a big difference. Uh, all right, Earl. We're good. All right. Let's pray. Dear heavenly Father, God, I do thank you for this day. God, I thank you for uh, just the freedom for us to come to this place, to worship you, to study your word, to learn more about your heart, your character, and God, your grace. God, we thank you for these things, and I just ask that your voice would be heard here today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. We're going to Jonah chapter three. We're going to try to get through three and four today. And uh, if you guys were here last week and you're paying attention, then you would know that the book of Jonah is not about Jonah. The book of Jonah is not about a great fish, but the book of Jonah is about God's grace. One person, thank you. (laughs) That was really impactful last week. I'll try to do better (laughs) today. So God's grace. And so last week we learned that God told Jonah what to do, and Jonah said, "Uh uh-uh, I ain't going to do it. He runs away. He he gets on a ship. A storm happens to come upon him. Uh, With uh, that, Jonah gets thrown overboard and swallowed by a fish, and uh, then that fish will... Uh, spit him out onto dry land. Well, through all of that process, we see God's points of action for his grace to be shown, not just to Jonah or not just to the people of Nineveh, but to all these kind of side characters along the way. These sailors who uh, aren't really, it's like, oh, well, you could read over them pretty easily. But because Jonah rebelled and ran away, now these, these sailors have stopped worshiping their own idols, their own gods now worshiping the one true God. If that's not God's grace, I don't know what is. That's pretty amazing that God can use the rebellion of somebody to do amazing work in somebody else's life, right? So we get to that point, and then we understand that Jonah, um, or that God has prepared a fish to swallow Jonah, and then made that fish go and spit Jonah onto dry land. These are all points of action for God's grace to be shown in the bigger picture. So with that being said, let's go to verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Wait a minute. What we see here, and this is what I like about the Bible. This is like you could go half of the first verse and kind of go, uh, we got to talk about this for a minute, right? We understand that our God is a God of second chances. Our God has shown that through the Bible on many different occasions. So for example, kings, like King David. King David, the man who commits physical murder or or, or makes somebody commit physical murder uh, just because he had uh, physical adultery with somebody else. That's a messed up thing. But guess what? David repents and God gives him that second chance. It's amazing. The Assyrians that Jonah's going to go talk to, uh, the Ninevites here, they're going to get a second chance because they had, they don't even know what they're doing is wrong. They don't know know their right hand from the left. We'll see that in the uh, last verse that we read today. They don't know, but God uh, gives them a second chance. They're not even Jewish. They're not from Israel. They're not from Judah. They're Gentiles. They're heathens, but God gives them a second chance. To people like Jonah, who are God followers, people of God, now, I've, I, I kind of alluded to it last week, but I, I really do find myself uh, comparing myself to Jonah because Jonah does a lot of the same kind of things that I would do. Jonah might get scared or he might get angry and I do the same things that he did. We run away. We talked about this last week, but no matter what happens, God's gonna bring you back to point A and give you a second chance. God is a God of second chances. I'm also reminded of Peter. Uh, Because I also kind of relate to Peter a lot. Peter was one of those guys, Simon Peter was one of those guys that uh, uh, didn't know when to shut up. And that's, I I can relate to that, right? To a a fault. Like Peter's going to say something, he says stupid things, and I guarantee you uh, I have said stupid things even from up here. Peter's going to do one of those to the point where God graciously interrupts him, which I sometimes hope he will do today. <laughs> so, um, but, but here's the thing with Peter. Peter made this huge mistake where he denies Jesus, denies him three times. And yet the next time he sees Jesus, this is after Jesus has, uh, has died and has been resurrected. And he sees Peter and he asks Peter, do you love me? Three times. Three times he asks him that. And Peter says, of course I do. You know I do. And he gives him that second chance. Peter, feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. He gives him the same call that he was originally given to the first time. It's like, this is what you're going to do. Did you mess up? Yeah. But hey, guess what? I want you to keep doing it. So when I make a mistake... When you make a mistake, we can be assured that God wants us to continue on with the job that He's given us, and He will give us a second chance. We just have to come to Him and repent and let Him know that, hey, we're here for Him. He'll give you that second chance, that third chance, that 146th chance. Now, could God have used somebody else? Sure. It probably might have even been easier to use somebody else. Jonah's in the middle of the sea somewhere, right? Could have been easier. But that wasn't part of God's plan. God wanted Jonah to go to the Ninevites. God wanted Jonah to deliver the message that God had for the Ninevites. Why? Well, my, my guess here is that he needed to work on Jonah's heart just as much as the Ninevites' heart. So he's going to continue to use Jonah. And that's why he would continue to use each one of us, even when we fail. Because when we fail, we don't, don't want to have a part of God anymore because a lot of times we're just too ashamed, right? But God doesn't call us to do that. God calls us to keep doing the good work that he wants us to do, not just for other people, but to work in our own hearts as well. So Jonah responds, verse two, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. Now, this almost mirrors chapter one, verse two, but this time the Lord doesn't say, hey, cry out to Nineveh, cry out to them. This time he just says, hey, go to Nineveh, and I'll tell you what to say when you get there. Now, that that can be a little frustrating to us, right? Because if you're a a missionary who's going on a trip, uh, let's say God calls you to go to Africa. You're like, great, God, I'd love to go to Africa. What do you want me to do there? And he responds with, I'll let you know, (laughs) No, 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 no. You can't just let me know because I got to make the preparations. I got to, you know, I got to figure out how much I'm going to have to spend or uh, how much I'm going to have to raise. Uh, I need to go to Scott and say, how much can you give me? All <laughs> right. Uh, I, I need to go to these. I, uh, oh, oh! and then I got to figure out what is it I'm doing? Am I going to be helping uh, people with diseases? I'm going to be working in a hospital. Am I going to be working with children? I have, I have no idea what to do. It's all right. I got you taken care of. I'll let you know when you get there. Calm down. What happened when, when God gave Jonah the whole mission the first time? Jonah said, no thanks, I'm out. So why would God give him the whole mission the second time? Right? It's just like, hey, well, you know what? For your sake, we're going to take this one step at a time. Let's just go to Nineveh. When you get there, I'll let you know what to do. We'll take that step when we get there. Sometimes we have to understand and put our trust and our faith in the Lord, that he'll take us just one step at a time. And if he doesn't give us the whole reason, the whole mission right away, then we have to be cool with that and understand that God's got things under control. So verse three, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. Now there are different opinions and, and different commentary, uh, com- uh preachers, uh, will say different things about what a three-day journey actually means. We already know that Nineveh is a great city, uh, most likely the biggest city in the world at that time. Now, some will say a three-day journey means that's how long it would take to walk around the city. And I kind of think about, um, let's see, who is it, Joshua uh, and Jericho. You know, he walked around the city like at one time, one day, but at one day he walks around it like, Seven times, right? It's in one day. And it's going to take three days to walk around Nineveh, right? That's, a, that's incredibly huge. Now, Chuck Smith tends to think that what that means is that if you enter Nineveh the first day, it's going to take you three days to walk from one end to another, which still almost makes it even bigger, right? I don't, I don't know if it really matters a whole lot to say uh, which way it really is, uh, but it is a huge city, especially for that time, uh, over 120,000 people in that one city, uh, so Jonah verse 4 began to walk being entered the city on the first day's walk then he cried out and said yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown this is the shortest recorded sermon in the Bible eight words in the original Hebrew it's only 5 words I'll bet some of you wish that I would just give a five-word sermon. We could all go to Tapatio's and have us some lunch, right? That'd be awesome. Now, some people will say, well, it was probably longer, and this is just the main point. But I'm just going to go by what the, the Bible has to say here, and this is, this is what he said. And I think that it serves it well because we know Jonah's heart uh, isn't for the Ninevites anyway. So when you're not really into something, do you tend to give it your 100 percent? Right? If you're not into it, you're all right. I'm going to do this, but I'm going to be happy about it. Right? Uh, so I think Jonah is just kind of given a little bit of a minimalistic attempt here. Uh, maybe, maybe it was one of those things where he was afraid because Assyrians are pretty scary. They're intimidating. And so he's like, I'm going to give the sermon that you gave me to go and I'm getting out of there. Right? But here's the one thing that I think is important to mention. In this eight word sermon, there is no mention of repentance there's no call to repentance. There's no mention of God's grace. None whatsoever. It's just, hey, 40 days and you'll be overthrown. That doesn't sound like a very encouraging thing. That definitely doesn't sound like something that I would want to hear and that would make me change my heart, right? Uh, so, verse 5 the people of Nineveh believed God? What? They believed God. They proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Now this message could have been interpreted as a threat. We're talking about Assyrians here. These guys are are incredibly intimidating. They boast about uh, their cities that they've overtaken and the gods that they can conquer. These guys, and you're going to come? One guy's going to come and say, we're going to be overthrown? I don't think so. That would be the, uh, like, I I would expect that kind of response. It seems like it's a threat. But I, I, I tend to think, if God could create a storm, if God could calm the storm, if God could prepare a great fish, and later we'll see God prepares a plant, and he prepares a worm, and he prepares a vehement east wind. Though it's not recorded, I have to kind of wonder if God has already started to prepare the hearts of the Ninevites to receive this message because again they're scary people they're intimidating people and we know that God can work in the hearts because we've seen God harden the heart of a pharaoh and if he can harden the heart of a pharaoh surely he can he can soften the heart of people he can prepare their hearts for a message surely you can do that so they believe God, despite the lack of, of uh, mention of repentance or God's grace. They believe God. And they proclaim to fast and put on sackcloth. These guys are, they're repentant. They're, they are repentant and they are doing things that says, oh, we got to repent. Now to have real repentance though, mark this. Yes, they did the sackcloth thing. They're doing the fasting thing. But the first thing that they did was to believe in God. To have real repentance, you have to believe in God. Otherwise, what are you repenting from? God is the one who gives us absolute morals. Without God, morals are just subjective. It's just like, okay, um, I, you know what? I have a right to be angry. I can be angry at anybody I want. If there's no God, I can be angry with anybody I want. After all, it's not like I'm really hurting them, right? But Jesus says something different. God tells us that if you have anger in your heart to somebody else, you're committing murder. So now that line is drawn in the sand. That's an absolute moral that I know that I can't cross. So I got to work on the anger issue. What about, what about when you look at things that are inappropriate online? That's not hurting anybody. You'll hear people tell you this. That's not hurting anybody. It's fine. Well, it's fine if you don't believe in God. But what Jesus have to say, if you even look on a woman with lust in your eyes, you're committing adultery in your heart. That line has been drawn in the sand that you cannot cross over because that's an absolute moral. You repent from that. Because you believe in God. So I'm repenting from anger, repenting from lust. And these guys are repenting. Why? Because they believe in God. Oh, there's a line being drawn. We're repenting now. Now, the word repentance isn't actually found in here, but repentance is not just a word but it's a course of action and these actions are actions that were taken as a sign of repentance they're going to put on sackcloth why because they're going to take off their comfortable clothes they don't want to find their comfort in the world right they're going to make themselves uncomfortable by fasting it's really uncomfortable to not eat you can i believe that i believe that wholeheartedly it's really uncomfortable not to eat So these actions that were taken were signs of true repentance. And everyone, everyone partook of this action. The rich, the poor, and we have a tendency to just separate ourselves into our classes, right? The rich are all friends with each other up here, and the the poor people are down here, and then you got your middle class, and and everybody has a, a different way of thinking when they think about certain things, right? But not in this case. Everybody. Was sorrowful. Everybody is repentant. Everybody, from the towers to the trailer parks, from the paupers to the king. Verse 6 Then word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Now, (laughs) No king does this. No king does this, especially the king in Nineveh of the Assyrians. No king does this. We've already established that they're a prideful group of people. What are they going to do? I'm going to be uncomfortable. I'm going to humble myself. Are you kidding me? We're Assyrians. We'll rip you up. No. Even the king is repentant here. Again, I just have to go back to, I really believe that the Lord's preparing even his heart to receive this message. Now, uh, verse 9, who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? The people of Nineveh in doing these things had hope they had hope that maybe if they showed their true repentance that they that, that, that this this God who wasn't really their god before would would have mercy on them they had that hope you know they and they are going to provide the actions like i said for every single person not even every single person but every animal what did the animals do? Did the animals partake in wickedness? If they had cats, maybe, right? But now we're talking about like cows and flocks and, and it's, it's like, uh, put put all the sackcloth on your cows. Make them uncomfortable too. Uh, make sure that they don't eat or drink. Now the people themselves are uncomfortable already. Can you imagine? Like for a lot of these people, now we're talking about, hey, this is our income here. This is what we're gonna the, the meat and, and that's how we live we can't starve our food really we can't do that and then imagine the wailing of the animals now people if we have self control we could kind of go yeah I'm hungry I'm hungry now, and if we don't if we're dramatic then, oh gosh this is terrible right animals don't have the same control that we do right they're going to go give me food <laughs> right I'm hungry. I'm hot. (laughs) Right? Can you imagine all the animals just kind of wailing and how uncomfortable that's going to be as well? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because we're going to do anything and everything we can. And maybe, just maybe, the God of Jonah here will have mercy on us and we won't be destroyed. Verse 10, then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way. And God relented from the disaster that he said he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. Now, here's another one of those situations where you kind of ask yourself, did God change his mind? Or did did God maybe make Jonah out to be some false prophet or a liar? Because Jonah just came in and said, hey, in 40 days, you all are going to be overthrown. But God's not going to do that. And I would, I'm going to say, no, no. God doesn't change his mind. He did not change his mind. He stayed within his character, and he stayed consistent to his word. If you go back to Jeremiah 18, you don't have to turn there, but if you go back to Jeremiah 18, 7 and 8, this is what he says. The instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom, to pluck them up, to pull down, and to destroy it, If that nation whom I've spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. So he's sticking with his word. He's sticking true to who he is. And don't you think that that would give a country like ours a little bit of hope? When we uh, see our country just growing, seemingly it's growing more and more wicked all the time. We're seeing more of uh, evil things being called good, and good things being called evil. We just see it all the time, and it seems like it's growing and growing. And we're just, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? How are we going to? I refer to you to last week when I said we have a calling ourselves. It's stated in Matthew 28, 19, 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. All nations, including ours. So once again, I say we have a calling from the Lord that says, hey, make disciples of all nations, including the one you're in, Right? And so I say, okay, we can go out and we can and preach to them the gospel. And, and uh, really importantly, also share our own testimony of what the Lord has done for us. We should go out and do that. But you know what? Simply because I think, I believe that God prepared the hearts of the Ninevites. I think it's really also important that we pray to the Lord to prepare the hearts of those around us to be open and and willing to hear the gospel, to be willing to hear your testimony, be willing to hear things of the Lord without shutting down completely. And maybe, just maybe, through all of these actions, maybe we can have a nation that would repent before God, who would believe in God and then turn toward God, and God would relent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. Right? Right? Now, I'm not going to stand here and, and tell you guys that God is going to destroy our nation in 40 days. I don't, know what the, I don't know what the plan is. But if there is a plan, if we can pull together and make disciples out of our nation and repent, then maybe God will relent upon the disaster he thought to bring upon us as well. It gives us hope as a nation. And then, you know what, that, that ends chapter 3. And I almost wish that we could just end the book of Jonah right there. It seems like it could be, this is a great place to stop. Guess what, a hun- like a, a 120,000 people just got saved, not to mention the sailors. You know, that, that's pretty good. That's a good place to stop. You know, things are on the up, right? We can't have that. We're going to go on to verse 4. The very first word of First four is but. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. What? heck? How can you be angry? How can you be angry that 120,000 people just decided to repent and, and start worshiping oh, the one true God? How can you be angry? Even the word says that the angels rejoice when one person gives their life to the Lord. How are you going to be angry when 120,000 people do that? How are you going to be angry? It's because he's selfish. I don't want to live in a world with heathens, Gentiles. What kind of, what is this? This So he was displeased. and, And don't mistake this displeased. Because in the Hebrew, in the original Hebrew, it's not like, oh, he was disappointed. No, no. He was enraged. He was angry. So when you read verse 2, though there are lots of nice things in verse 2 that that are true about the Lord, Jonah is not praising the Lord. He is accusing the Lord. So when you read verse 2, you have to read it in its proper context. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, get... Was this not what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God. You're slow to anger and abundant and loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore, O oh Lord, please just take my life from me for it is better for me to die than to live. That's how this verse is read. That's Jonah's heart that we see. Now, Jonah had the opportunity to enjoy the mercy of God himself, taking him from the, the dangerous zone of the storm into the belly of a fish, and then out of the belly of the fish, he, was, he, he got to experience God's mercy and God's grace. But he resented God's grace when it was shown to others. May we not be people who resent God's grace because he gives it to somebody else and not us. Jonah would much rather have seen Jonah's justice than God's grace for the Ninevites. So last week, I asked, why do bad things happen to good people? And we established that there are no real good people. But this, this week, the question is a little bit reversed. Why do good things happen to bad people? Why then? Why did God choose these really wicked, evil people to show his grace and mercy to? Ironically, the answer to both questions are the same it's god's grace it's god's grace that allows him to do good things to the people of Nineveh it's even god's grace to make Jonah experience this evil this evil this bad storm this dangerous storm it's all god's grace So when we have things that come to our lives, and it's just like, oh, well, this is bad. This is terrible. Let us not just go, um, I'm experiencing uh, this really bad thing. But let us go, you know what, this may be God's grace, and I just don't see it yet. And then when good things happen, let us not forget that it's God who does the good work. It's not not because we did anything, because we are evil, we are wicked. So it's God that blesses us. It's God that does the good work in our lives. Both cases is God's grace. And the thought of salvation to the Ninevites was so painful to Jonah that he'd rather die. I kind of I look at this like he's almost like a oh, a hormonal teenager or something, right? This is like, it's so unfair. Um, you can't believe it. He's whining. I say that, but I also have to remember, remember, I also see a lot of myself in Jonah. So there's a lot of myself that acts like a, a hormonal teenager sometimes, right? I have to be Be careful. So he'd rather die than to see the salvation of these people. I, on the other hand, find it really comforting. I find it really comforting that he could be so gracious to a wicked nation. Because if he's, if he's that gracious to such a, such a wicked people, and again, between last week and this week, I learned a lot more about what the Assyrians would do. And uh, just to keep it, Kind of PG rated. Uh, It's a very Silence of the Lambs kind of deal, okay? I say it that way because the younger generation have no clue what uh, anything in that movie is, but the older people are gonna go, oh, that's bad, all right? Imagine a whole nation of like Silence of the Lambs type stuff. It's crazy, right? God has grace on them, God God works in them, and they repent, and now they're believers in God, right? so i find it really comforting that if people who are that wicked and i have to be careful not to compare myself to them because i am a wicked person that god can have the same kind of grace on me so comforting and you know what else is comforting is the way that god responds to jonah and in his this outburst of his in verse 4 he says the lord said is it right for you to be angry Again, he's kind of sticking with his own character. He's sticking with his own word. If you look at Proverbs 15.1, it says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. You don't see any harsh words coming from the Lord. What do you see? A question. And God likes to ask questions because they kind of reveal our heart. All right? If God's asking me a question, it forces me to look at myself and see what kind of a person I'm being at that moment in time. And it also puts us on proper ground before God. Because he has every right to ask us a question. And guess what? We owe him an answer. And he asks questions all through the Bible. I've got a list of questions that I'm going to read to you right now. Uh, I'm not going to give you every address because the list can be extensive because that's the way God works. It's kind of a blessing, really. But if you start in Genesis, questions begin. Where are you? Who told you you were naked? What is this you have done? Where is your brother Abel? What have you done? First Samuel, What have you done? Second Samuel, Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? Isaiah, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Matthew, Who do you say I am? What do you want me to do for you? Luke, Are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Acts. Saul. Saul. Why are you persecuting me? All through the Bible. He asks us questions that force us to to look at our hearts, and it reveals what our hearts say about us. And he's not harsh about it. He's very gentle. So... I'm one of those guys that believe that you can express your emotion to the Lord. If you're frustrated, take it to the Lord. If you're sad, take it to the Lord. And when you're angry and you take it to the Lord, listen for his still soft voice, but don't listen for answers. Listen for questions. Listen for questions that's going to reveal your own heart. So, well, why, why do you think you're acting like this, right? Right? Why? Why are you doing what you're doing right now? Listen for those questions. God likes to ask us questions, because He likes to engage with us, right? If He gave us the answer, we said, "It's all done," right? God, God, God. Well, this is why. Okay. Right? But we said, God, God, God. Well, why do you think that uh, you're being like this? What's What's going on? Well. Uh I have a selfish nature. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, what do you think we should do about this? Well, uh, <laughs> you know, this is the this is the this is the character of God to ask us questions and kind of make us kind of sh- see our own hearts, see what he sees. So, verse 5. Jonah <laughs> He doesn't he doesn't take this opportunity. <laughs> He doesn't take this opportunity to go, oh, you're right, God. <laughs> no. No, he again, I, I, I kind of picture a child here. And he went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city where he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade until he might see what would become of the city. <laughs> maybe, just, just maybe, somebody in the city didn't repent. Maybe, 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 maybe I'll get my wish after all. Maybe I'm just going to sit here and find out because maybe there's somebody. And then I have to wonder, I do have to wonder this. Like, what's the timeline here? And I don't have an answer for this. And I'm not expecting you to have an answer for this or anything. But like Jonah told the people 40 days and you'll be overthrown. And He went in on the first day and said what he had to say. I don't know if that was it. And he said, I'm out. Uh, I don't know if uh, he took several days to do that, because then the number of days would go down as he's preaching, right? If he took, if he took, you know, the second day, oh, 39 days, and work, it's a countdown, right? I don't know if that happened, right? So, I, you know, I just kind of go, what's the timeline? And if, if he left on the 40, is he going to wait out there for over a month to see if uh, Nineveh gets destroyed? I mean, that... Imagine where your heart has to be to go, I'm willing to sit out here in the desert underneath a shade for 39 days just to see if you guys get what you deserve. <laughs> right? That's, it's, it's so, it, I say it's so childish. I say it's like, oh, that's absurd. But I recognize that I do the exact same thing. Yes. My wife can agree that I'm childish. Sometimes, if not most times, I'm childish. So while I'm kind of criticizing Jonah here, I, I got to be careful because this is me. This is how I act. I got to take the lesson from Jonah here. You know, okay. So he's, he's kind of throwing his little fit here out on the east side of the city. But as morning dawned the next day, verse 7, God, oh, I skipped a little, I'm sorry, verse six. And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. Two things here. Again, again we see the grace of God in action. Even though Jonah is kind of behaving uh, just poorly, God's going, okay, you know what? Here, have some shade. Here you go. Here's, Here's your plant. And this is the first time in the entire book of Jonah that we see Jonah happy. But he's not necessarily happy with the Lord. He's happy that there's a plant He's happy about this, about this plant. He's grateful. And he might be grateful to the Lord, but he's really happy about the plant. And in his happiness is just like in his anger. They're both very selfish. They're both very fleshy. You know, it's just like, oh, good. I now have this shade over me that will protect me. I'm happy now. And his anger is the same way so angry because I'm not getting what I want they're both all about Jonah but God has mercy Jonah allowed this little plant to be like an idol for him that he could find his happiness in he didn't find his happiness in the Lord if he did his heart would be changed I said last week Jonah had a heart for the Lord He just didn't have a heart of the Lord. And he's still showing that. It's like, I'm happy about my plant, right? Still showing that. Verse 7, but as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm. And it so damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun rose, that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished for death for himself and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Now, at this time, I just want to take a little sidebar here. At this time in the book, we now see that Absolutely everything that God created aside from Jonah was obedient to the Lord. Everything. There's there's not one thing here that is disobedient to the Lord. Right? God calls Jonah to go do something. Jonah says, nope. In his rebellion, he's, he's disobedient, and he finds a ship, and he goes. Right? And then God creates the storm, the wind and the waves. And the wind and the waves are like, yeah, God, we're going to do what you tell us to do. Let's damage the ship. Let's do this. Right? And then the sailors are all like, oh, no, what are we going to do? And then, oh, it's, it's, it's Jonah's God that's doing it. Well, let's worship the, okay, God, we don't really want to throw Jonah over, but we're going to throw him over anyway. Whoop. God's grace. Why? Because they were obedient to the Lord. Right? And then the great fish comes and the fish is all like, oh, good food. Oh, says, oh, okay. He's obedient to the Lord. And then the Lord says, go take him to dry land. And the fish is like, okay, God. And he takes him to dry land, and vomits him out on dry land. Jonah then goes to the Ninevites and says, this is what the, uh, this God says. This. Oh, God, God. Okay. All right. We're going to be obedient to the Lord. And Jonah's mad, right? He plant, plant. I'll grow for you, God. Worm. I'll eat that plant for you, God vehement wind. Sure, I'll blow. Yeah, that's fine. Everything, everything in this book is obedient except Jonah, the man of God. Ooh, that stings a little bit because I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. And I have to be super careful and look around me and go, hey, is... I wonder, if every, I wonder if everybody else is uh, being obedient to the Lord. Am I being obedient to... Am I in my... Rebe- I'm, I'm rebelling right now, right? It's like, I don't want to be... I don't want to be that guy. That guy who just... just uh, pff, no, let me join with everybody else and be obedient. It's just an interesting thing. It was an interesting sidebar that, like, everything is obedient except for Jonah. Now... Um, it's also interesting to note that the Hebrew word for anger means, literally, it means to get hot, right? So when in that first verse, he was displeased and angry, it was like he was hot. That's it's probably where we get it from today. It's just like, oh, <laughs> he is hot right now. He is so mad, right? He is hot. And now God's just kind of showing, hey, look. See, this heat, this bit, that's, that's your anger, right? It's almost like he's reflecting uh, Jonah's anger. Now, God's not showing that he's angry with Jonah. He's just letting Jonah understand what his anger is like, right? Uh, so, verse 9. Then God said to Jonah, here it is, another question. Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? <laughs> Jonah said, it is right for me to be angry even unto death. Jonah responds unfavorably, again, kind of like a child. And one of the saddest things that I can think about right here is that these are the last recorded words of Jonah in the Bible, him responding with such disdain and anger. Now, Jonah is is an angry person. He made three errors uh, that angry people usually make, and I've committed all of these. Number one, he quit. God called him to do the thing. He got angry. He quit. He separated himself. I'm leaving. I'm leaving Nineveh. I'm gonna go up here. I'm just gonna sit up here, and third, be a spectator. I'm gonna watch what happens now. Just gonna watch. This is this stinks, man. This stinks. And you know what? I don't even want to be around anybody right now. I don't want to be around anybody. I'm just going to sit here and watch what happens. Angry people do this. Lord said, verse 10, you have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who, can't, who cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and much livestock? Now, Jonah pities the plant. Again, like God said, he didn't do anything for this plant. Jonah didn't. He didn't plant the seed. He didn't water it. He didn't do anything. God did all of that. Jonah pities this plant, but God, He has pity on the city, the city of Nineveh, in which are His creations. His creations, who, while they're not Jewish, while they're still Gentile, are still, are still made in His image, and He pities them. Why can't Jonah pity them like God does? You know, we often find, we see it today, we find uh, a lot of people might refer to someone as a tree hugger, right? And they care more about, uh, you know, forests than they do people. A lot of people will care about, <laughs> oh, I'm walking on dangerous ground. A lot of people care about their pets like they're people. A lot of people care about their pets more than people. We've gotten our priorities a little bit distorted over the course of time. God's got them in check the entire time because God cares about people. Even if they don't believe what you believe, he cares about them. And all he wants is for everyone to repent and come to him. That's all he's after. Why couldn't Jonah get on board from that? Now, verse 12 no, no, wait. Chapter 5? No. There's, there's no verse 12. There's no chapter 5. It ends right there. The book of Jonah ends right there. And the first time I read that, I went, what happened? What? Did, what did What you can't just leave it like that. What did, 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 John, did, did he die? Did John, die? did he get what he's been asking for through this entire book? Did he die or did he maybe, did he repent himself? Did he come to the Lord? What happened? What happened? I got to know. I really want to, I'm left with nothing in the Bible, <laughs> but it's almost like, it's almost like what I just said a little bit ago. we got to take it one step at a time. I don't get all the information, Right one step at a time. Now, in my search to find some kind of closure for Jonah, I did did come upon this. Again, this is Jewish tradition. It's not in the Bible. So you take it for what it is. Is it true? Is it not? I don't know. I don't know. But Jewish tradition says that after God said that, Jonah fell on his face and said, govern your world according to the measure of mercy, as it is said to the Lord our God, belong mercy and forgiveness, which is found in Daniel nine. 9. Now, that's Jewish tradition. I, don't, I, I, can't, I can't say for sure because it's not recorded here in the Bible. I, I would like to think that that happened. It would be nice to see uh, Jonah be just as repentant as Ninevites on the same level ground as them, right? That would be really nice to see. But maybe that's not even, it's really not what this book is about. We've said before, it's not about Jonah. I really kind of want to know what happens, but it's not about Jonah. It's about God's mercy, God's grace. And the lesson of the book of Jonah is stated in Jonah's prayer in chapter 2. The Lord is my salvation. And through the whole book of Jonah, I can't, I've repeated this over and over again, and I can't state it enough. The whole book of Jonah is just a book of series of actions that God takes to show us his grace. We know that the Lord is our salvation. Jesus has already provided that that way for us, for him to be uh, uh, our salvation. We've already seen the action that God took for him to be our salvation. And his all-encompassing grace. So that when I do mess up, I can repent. I'm already forgiven because God's already made a way for that to happen. The Lord is our salvation. If you mess up, if you mess up, you look to the Lord, you repent. I'm not going to sit here and tell you to wear sackcloth. I don't know if it's good. You might. You can if you want, I guess. There's nothing in here that says you can't. Fasting is always a good idea. When we repent, show God how sorry we are, we just cry out to him. That's what the Ninevites did. They cry out to the Lord. It's what the sailors did. They cry out to the Lord. And it's what we're called to do. You repent, cry out to the Lord. So God can engage us. So we can have that relationship with the Lord. And we don't have to end up like a Jonah. Wondering, wondering what's going to become of ourselves right? We can just go to the Lord, humble ourselves, and he's already extended that grace, and, that grace to us and our salvation. Heavenly Father, God, I do thank you. I thank you again for the actions that you've already put in place, for you to have grace for each and every one of us. And God, just ask that when we do mess up, that we would be quick to repent, God, that we would come to you, cry out to you. And God, when we do, that we could just stay quiet and listen. Listen for your still small voice. God, we thank you that you want a relationship with each and every one of us. God, we just ask that you would help us to open our eyes to see your action over action over action for your plan of grace for each one of us in our lives and recognize that you are the one that's doing the work in our lives and it's not, has anything to do with the circumstances that may be around us or how good or how hard we work and, uh, but Lord, that you are the one who provides for us that we could see your plan in action through the good times and the bad. God, again, we thank you and we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, guys, and have an awesome, awesome week.